I'm Larry Barsh, and you are listening to Specifically for Seniors, the podcast for those of us in the Remember When generation. Today, I would like to welcome a very, very special guest on Specifically for Seniors. We all know Robert Klein from his more than 80 appearances on The Johnny Carson Show and his more than 70 film and TV credits. He hosted Saturday Night Live twice and was in the original Cheeseburger sketch with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. Robert was the first comedian to have an HBO special and went on to star in eight more. He's been nominated for two Emmys, two Grammys, and a Tony. His most recent film, Before I Go, is a sometimes funny but always moving experience. Robert Klein will be appearing June 22nd at the Suffolk Theater in Riverhead, New York. Robert, it's a joy and really a thrill to have you on the podcast. Dr. Barsh, it's a pleasure. I hate to be a schnurrer, but I got a little... That's the only dentist joke I'll do, I promise you. I I was going to say, take your best shot, but that's okay. No, no, I just... I avoided a root canal yesterday. I'm very happy. Um, So you... uh, This is called Specifically Senior. I don't know why. Because it's specifically for seniors. Uh, What is a senior exactly? That is something I have been trying to figure out. Uh, I'm older than you are, and I still haven't matured out of my 20s or 30s. Well, you told me you're 85, and I just turned 80. So who's your pediatrician? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I, I go to a guy who I knew since he was in medical school. His ex-wife and my ex-wife were opera singers at uh, in Albuquerque, in Santa Fe, in the opera. And I know him all those years. He became a big... He does all the opera singers. He's on Madison Avenue. And uh, if you sneeze, it's $1,500. When my wife and I moved down here, we were looking for a physician. So I asked the friend. And she recommended a doctor... And I say, is he a good doctor? She said, he's a nice boy. <laughs> so, Yeah, I, I wonder if there are any doctors in Florida. Wop, wop, wop. shot. A little, uh, I have a bone to pick with South Florida, really. I sent two perfectly healthy 65-year-old retired parents to South Florida. 30 years later, they were dead. What that the happens. hell is going on down there, Larry? You're a scientist. Is it the water? Is it poison in the shuffleboard courts? Tell me. Uh, I don't have an answer then yeah. for that. I could say the governor, but I won't. I moved down to Tamarack as soon as my father was 65 and she was 64. My father was a textile salesman and he's... He was very much moved by Arthur Miller's death of his salesman because he never really was happy being a salesman. Uh, he was an excellent student, Stuyvesant High School, as mathematician, but only went to City College for a semester, wanted to work and wear a tie. His father worked with his hands, 
And so wearing a tie, you know, is a big deal. My father was and mother were born in New York. No one asked any of this, but I feel like telling you. Um, born in New York, 1907, 1908. Uh, Hungarian, all four of my grandparents came from Hungary, luckily in 1903, uh, from Debrecen and from uh, Budapest. We lost no one in the Holocaust that we know of, fortunately. Although we had a cousin that came over in 53 that uh, hid from the Nazis in Paris for three years. Her dog would bark and the woman would put her in the closet. And um, Go ahead, ask me something. Uh, yeah, we, we have a lot in common. My father-in-law was in the woolens business as well. And I had a great-grandfather who was from Crisson. So that's that. What's Crisson? Crisson, the uh, one of the port cities in Ukraine that's oh, being attacked oh, now. So yeah, tell, tell, I'm reading. I, I've always been a reader, and I was a history, political science major in college. But I've been doing more reading since uh, my career was interrupted by the pandemic. Um, more than ever in my life, and a lot of it, World War One and World War Two, And I'm in the middle of a book by uh, Sir Martin Gilbert, who was a Jewish historian, <clears throat> and uh, Churchill's son chose him to do an authorized biography. And it's amazing how these same names are popping up. Bosnia, Serbia, Russia, Poland, Ukraine, this this conflagration has been going on in one way or another for, well, better part of 200 years, at least 150. And it's very sad in the middle of the 21st century to see people that look alike, speak the same language for the most part, and, you know, major urban centers. It's not that the, the suffering of Syrians or you know, uh, people in Myanmar, for that matter, or <clears throat> um, Chechnya, where he was also so br uh, uh, brutal. It's not that they're any less, but there is something about that stirs me even more about the modernity in Ukraine, its Europeanness, high tall buildings. And I'd like to point out Zelensky, uh, that people thought was a little schlemiel is a tremendous hero. I like to point out he is a comedian and a Jewish comedian at that. Comedians rule, Larry. Comedians not only rule, but they make great actors. <laughs> Tell us about your movie. Uh, well, we did it before the pandemic. <clears throat> the wonderful Annabella Sciorra <clears throat> and I, I play a father, and we shot it on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Uh, no studios, all on location. And uh, I think she was marvelous. People remember, uh, may remember her from her movies in the 90s, and then her marvelous appearances on The Sopranos as the sexy Mercedes dealer. She was unfortunately, um, she, she was really at her own volition, testified at the Harvey Weinstein trial. And uh, he did quite a bit of damage to her and her career. 
and she was extremely brave, and I told her so, to testify. It wasn't her case that was up, but the judge allowed her testimony. Suffice it to say that she's just marvelous in this. And um, uh, there is this sort of there is some wisdom in the film. A lot of it is the fact that she's a depressed person and so forth. But there is a a, a kind of surprise at the end, and uh, I think it has something to say. And I was very pleased to be part of it. It's an independent film, a relatively low budget compared to the you know millions and millions, but uh, nonetheless artful. It was directed and written by a man named Eric Schaefer, who has written and directed some features in the past. And uh, I don't know, I, I've been in about 40 feature films and a lot of film television. Uh, it's never been my strongest point. I mean, the, the I would have liked to do some more of them, but um, the way it turned out, I did a lot of things, so I was never out of work. <laughs> It was a pleasure to watch a film that didn't have CGI in it. Oh, no computer graphics. Yeah. You know, I just saw a film. I I really admire the older films, which are massive, but didn't have that, like uh, Lawrence of Arabia or the, The Longest Day. No computers. Those are extras. Spartacus, thousands of them, you know. The only... Thing that bothered me about the film was that the worm didn't get credit. Yes, there's a worm involved. In fact, that was the original name of it. God is a worm, and uh, the distributors and the, the, the ultimately the producers uh, did not like that uh, title. I wonder why. God, <laughs> you're bound to you're bound to offend someone. Although worm yep. is as noble a creature as any other. Uh I found on YouTube a video of you, a video of you appearing in Ted Mack's original Amateur Hour as a member of the Teen Tones. Did you always want to be an entertainer? Um, no, I always wanted to be a doctor. And my uh, my father was on the Today Show with me with Gene. Uh, what was his name? The critic. Uh, I remember with the big mustache. Yeah, I, and uh, and he said, Mr. Klein, that he always wanted. My father was very funny; should have been a comedian. He said, did he, did he always want to be an actor? He said, No, he wanted to be a doctor. I figured by the time he becomes one, I'll be old enough to need one. <laughs> he was hilarious. He had uh, Gene falling out of his seat, and uh, no, I I I I thought medicine was. I had a a, a local doctor, Asa Rosenstein who could not get into, he had wonderful grades, undergraduate, couldn't get into a medical school because he was Jewish. Uh, This was in the 20s. And uh, he went to Creighton in Nebraska. (laughs) It's a picture of him with Indians. And uh, uh, I always thought he was very heroic. Uh, The Catholics lit candles for him. The Jews lit candles. He came to your house. He delivered the babies. And he, he practiced into his... 70s or 80s until uh, some sort of dementia began to creep in. And I thought he was uh, tremendously heroic and I thought medicine in general. And I went to Alfred to become a doctor. Alfred was a small liberal arts college in New York State, up, upper state. And uh, 
uh, a few things got in my way. Uh, calculus, physics, biology, zoology, reading, <laughs> spelling, comprehension, behavior, aptitude, attitude. Uh, but aside from that? Aside from that, so I went for history of political science, the proper preparation for comedy. Um, I was hit with a really, almost everyone I went to school with became a physician or a, a judge. Uh, my roommate is a retired neurologist, Stu Les. She's in Florida doing volunteer work. Wonderful. Um, but it wasn't for me. But um, I, uh, it became realistic because you never know. And I went out of my sophomore year at Alfred for a play, The Brothers Karamazov. And oh, I entertained as a kid. I was on the amateur hour in high school and, you know, but I didn't dream that I could do it professionally. My mother and father went to every Broadway show from the 30s on, they, every movie. My mother knew all the movie stars. They loved, my mother played beautiful piano. We used to sing around the piano, but, you know, to do it professionally is totally different. But I caught on in a, in a wonderful two-man um, drama department in Alfred. Smith and Brown, both Tweedy and pipe-smoking. One had been a navigator in World War II with bushy eyebrows and an English wife. They were wonderful. They had such great taste. And at the end of my junior year, they collared my father and they said, you know what, Mr. Klein, he's very talented. And my father, who was born in Brooklyn uh, and lived, was brought up in the, in the Upper East Side of Manhattan before it was Tony, you know, immigrants. And, and they said, we can get, we believe we can get him into graduate school at Yale for drama. My father said, Yale? To be an actor? Did Eddie Cantor go to Yale? <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he, he was half kidding, but he had a point because... Uh, subsequent to my year of graduate school, I didn't finish. It was a three-year Master of Fine Arts post-college. You know, I just, it's like becoming a doctor. I, I, I wanted to work. But uh, subsequent to that, I was in Second City, the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I learned, I think, more there. And I got $150 a week. So anyway, I owe it all to them that they missed, they directed me, they, they, you know, instead of sinambulating into law school or teaching, what would I do with history, political science? I don't know. I'm not a businessman. And so it was wonderful. Uh, uh, they had only recommended two people in all their years to Yale. And I didn't even have to audition because the, the, they trusted the Smith was the old college roommate at Amherst, the dean of the school. He wouldn't steer them wrong only two people in all those years and i made a hit at the yale drama school but i wanted to work so the immersion was so important that i was now not only in theater but in an ivy league context with professional everything and so that was kind of assuaged my father when he took his head out of the oven when he found out <laughs> to be a doctor uh, an actor Aha. Uh -huh. So you wanted to be a doctor, doctor, not a doctor dentist. Well, you know, there was a snobbishness about that. Uh, in your time, uh, you had to take every course a doctor did, including gross anatomy 
and you had to carve a piece of chalk. I knew that material. Oh. Dental expressions. Hey. Um, oh. Yeah, no, that was out to my sophomore So uh, that, that's how it started. And then uh, it, it's, uh, I wrote a book, and a lot of it is in there. And if someone wants to buy it, they can get it as a real bargain. Simon and Schuster, it's been out in hardcover maybe 14, 12 years, and then softcover six. It's called The Amorous Busboy of Decatur Avenue. And you can find it on Amazon, or if you don't want to give them the money, it's available. And it got very nice notice in the Sunday Times book review. I'd like to write another one, but I'm waiting till I'm 140. And that was about growing up in the 50s and 60s? Yes, it actually ends when I'm 25 years old, my first trip to Los Angeles. Um, and I, I didn't think I would have a career. It didn't begin very well, my first trip to Los Angeles. Um, but I had such an exciting life and career, a lot of things I never could have dreamed of. I, I always, you know, I put up in the Bronx. I was too nursey once, Washington, D.C. I never went anywhere. I never, you know, I flew first time in a 17, and that was state New York, a 20-minute flight to something. I got caught on the way back to school. Uh, and now I, there's only three states I haven't been to, and that's South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana, and I'm certain I want to. If the people would leave, and let me just see the big things there. <laughs> the politics there is absolutely appalling as it is of America, including your great state. Uh, let's not even get involved in that discussion. Uh, I just... Why not? Uh, you know, I, I know that maybe some people are your... See, you're already in the business. You don't want to offend. It's not you saying it. It's me saying uh, it. You don't like me. You know. When I, when you I know, was in practice, there's a lot about it I don't well, like down I've got here. What you want. Uh, if they start having open carry, I'm out of here. Uh, I don't like this new bill about... Uh, 30% of my practice at one time were the greatest bunch of gay guys uh, in the early 80s when HIV, AIDS was a death sentence. Yeah. We lost so many kids. It was just... Anyway. We lost so many in show business. Endless. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, we just lost... These were not celebrity kids. These were not actors these were just guys having a rough time i even remember the name of my first aids patient anyway and that's where my wife who was managing the office was incredible with these kids just great anyway what was the experience like being on johnny carson for the first time it was nerve-wracking uh uh it was January 19th, 1968, and um, it was the biggest. You know, it wasn't a million different shows and, and choices on television then. The night show you talked about at the office water found the next day if you killed him. So, uh, and, and the producer 
And my manager, everyone thought what I did was so different at that time that maybe the audience ought to get to know me for a minute or two next to Johnny <laughs> and then do my stand-up. And, and I, they, I didn't get a laugh in the minute or so sitting down. So I went right to the stand-up and killed him. And, um, um, you know, I, I just did Fallon before the pandemic, uh, the most, most recent iteration of uh, The Tonight Show. And they gave me a plaque for every one of my appearances. I think it included about 15 guest hosts for Johnny, but it was a total of 93 or 94. So, uh, you know, it turned out I owed him everything. He was very, very generous to young comedians and for comedians he loved, as I love Jonathan Winters and Rickles. I mean, he laughed, he was generous. It's hard to make comedians laugh very often. <laughs> So I owed everything because I never wanted to do a sitcom early in my career. I, I I could have done the Wayne Rogers role on MASH opposite Alan Alda. And Wayne Rogers only stayed one year. And I never regretted it because my, my career was very hot then in, in stand-up and doing some movies. And I saw the movie MASH, which I thought was brilliant. And I... Sitcoms for me, The Honeymooners, Bilko, All in the Family, maybe a handful that I watched. I it joke, laugh, joke, laugh, although I've done them since. Some of them are pretty good. I just did a role. The last thing I did was Will and Grace just before the pandemic. I, I played uh, the husband of uh, Blythe Danner, my old best friend from Yale, Jimmy Burrows, the, the most important television director, and I'm very proud of him because he was in my class in the drama school. Um, you know, it's fun, um, but um, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I don't know, some, uh, the, uh, the pandemic made me a little lazy. I've been working for 57 years, you know, so. It, it, that was a rough period. I hope we're over it. Uh, it would be nice to get out again. Well, you know, that's the thing. I feel sorry for especially the young people of the world, but, well, for so many people who were affected. But to me, I had just been working hard in Florida, as a matter of fact, at some theaters and some big theater communities, you know, whatever. And uh, I just loved reading and not having responsibilities. But um, I have... A previous condition, I was unfortunately on and off a cigarette smoker for 25 or 30 years. Not in about 25 years, but... And I have some COPD. I have a, a chronic bronchitis. And it's getting a little worse. I, was, I got away with it for years. But I've done something that I never could have imagined I'd do. For 30 years, some of the best money I've spent is I've been working with a trainer three times a week for 30 years, and the same one for about 28 years. And I think it's it's counted, you know? I mean, making me, no matter what I do, uh, if I drink too much wine or anything, I have to pay for it. I mean, and I, I, my family wasn't like that. My father was skinny and, you know, you know, good, tight muscles, and he never got sick until he got hepatitis somehow, we don't know how, and it led to liver cancer, he never drank, you know. 
um, I think it's important. And uh, I, I was, I could afford to actually have someone force me to do it, which everyone can't. But when he can't make it, or when I'm on the road or whatever, I know what to do. I don't even need him. It's just that it's an appointment I have to make, you know? So anyway, uh, I think it's helped. Believe me, I feel, I'm 80. I, I feel 80 in many ways. But I think uh, that and working and reading and, you know, I think keeps me reasonably sharp. I, I, I have trouble with names and nouns and uh, everyone I know Who does. doesn't? They have for the last 25 years. And, uh, you know, why did I go in the kitchen again? That kind of thing. Uh, and uh, I memorize my lines as easily as I ever did when I have to for movies or stuff that helps. So, uh, you know, I, I remember the late Mike Nichols. He directed my first Broadway show, Apple Tree. And I was in a movie directed, Primary Colors. I, you know, Mike used me like clockwork every 37 years. So we're backstage at this tribute to uh, Jules Pfeiffer, the co great cartoonist. And he said, uh, you know, I have you in mind for a, for a, a role in theater. I said, you know, Mike, I, I really don't want to do Broadway anymore. You know, he said, do you have trouble memorizing lines? First thing he said, I said, absolutely not. I just don't want to show up eight times a week and do the same thing over and over again. Live theater is fantastic. It'll never be replaced. But for an actor, especially in a hit, I mean, in playing our song, I did a, a year on Broadway. I did uh, eight weeks in California, preliminary to Broadway. Sisters Rosenswag, I did a year. I mean, you say the same thing every night, drives you nuts. I can imagine. I When I was teaching, I couldn't give the same lecture twice because it got bored. Well, how about, uh, you know, cavities, the same procedures? I don't know. I, although um, medicine and dentistry present uh, different problems all the time. Uh, Listen, Doc, you sure? <laughs> the other side, I noted something. Yeah. You hosted Saturday Night Live twice, and you starred in the cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger sketch. What don't we know about that sketch? Um, a lot of laughter in rehearsal. Um, you know, uh, uh, Gilda Radner and uh, Madeline Kahn were two of the funniest women I ever knew. I, I knew Madeline very, very well, long before she became a star. Um, and they both died of the same thing. Um, ovarian cancer. There were, but uh, Gilda Radner was, was hilarious and the whole sketch was so funny. Um, I, I did the fifth show in the series, the very first year. And I gave Lorne Michaels, who has since become one of the most powerful people in, in international show business, who was a little pitcher from uh, Toronto, uh, and I told him, don't do it live. Everyone was so nervous. This was at NBC, Studio 8H. I did two specials for NBC there in 81. It's where they still do it. It's, it was an original studio from the early days of radio. That's where, you know, uh, they, they converted. They were not made for television, those studios. 
And nobody in that building had done a live show since Howdy Doody in 1954. <laughs> and here they are, with, and everyone was very nervous. And um, then I did it on, in the third year. It was already established. I would have done it more times. It was some, I, I, and a few times I was so busy, I, I couldn't coordinate dates with them. And then my manager and Lorne were unhappy with each other. I don't know, whatever. All I can say is that original cast were all brilliant. And Belushi was a sweetheart. Some people fall through the cracks. They cannot uh, control themselves. And the, the, the worst thing in drug addiction is when you have the money. <laughs> and also yeah. no one can, he was doing uh, Blues Brothers in, uh, in somewhere, Chicago. And uh, John Landis was a director. He should have shut it down and yeah, and sent him to rehab, whatever, but uh, it's always money. And it, it, he's responsible for himself. He was not a child, but he was a lovely person and he was so talented and Aykroyd, kind of strange. They were a great bunch. Uh, uh, Jane Curtin was on one of my NBC specials. Uh, she was completely different from the others, but they all were very attached, you know, and uh, I, they started it off, most of them were Second City people from Chicago, just as I had been about four years earlier than they. And in fact, I just did a, a Zoom play a few months ago with Alan Arkin. It was near the one of the original cast, of it, and it was so wonderful uh, going back and forth with him. He just turned 90, and he's, wow. he never gave a bad performance. And I was his doppelganger at, at Second City. I idolized him, you know. What happened to your generation of comics who could break up an audience without resorting to four-letter words as every other word in the performance? Well, um, first of all, you know, cultural things have changed and profanity is an important part of the language if used aptly, like a yes. good novelist would, not every other word. So I agree with your sensibility and many others in that, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I was the first person to curse on, uh, to say the F word on television when I had my first HBO special and I did it intentionally. <laughs> Just like Lenny Bruce did. His stuff is so, it seems so tepid now, you know, and, and it was his sacrifice, Christ-like, seriously, it was professionally crucified he couldn't he had no champions except uh uh marty uh, uh his 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 wonderful uh, first amendment lawyer marty uh martin garbus uh he had no champions nobody wanted to hire him uh so he paved the way and now everyone you know it's it's just part of the discourse every every second word is bleep bleep is always exciting um there's a lot of talent out there you want to know something i, I just show business has has always been so all-consuming and it, without question competitive and so forth when the when the taxi meter is off i like to be off duty you know what i mean uh, I'm not really up on everybody. I know that there's a lot of profanity and that it becomes, I mean, you know, I, I watch this court TV and people show up, you know, their son is up for murder. They're wearing an undershirt, you know, so 
the two are somehow connected. There is an, an absence of elegance <laughs> somehow that has crept in. Um, and also uh, use of the language. Um, sh he should have went here, he should have went there. Uh, uh, how much is snobbery and how much is a beautiful? English is as beautiful as any language in the world. And I always wanted to represent that, even in comedy. You know, use the right word, you know, and make sure, depending on the audience, that people understand you. I, I don't want to be unfathomable or above everyone's, you know, head, too smart for the room, which right. I've been to often well, the Tonight Show. Was it sometimes only Johnny and the band were laughing, you know what I mean? But um, uh, there's, there's talent out there. The world has changed, Larry with respect to that uh, bodily functions and everything else is, is out there. Um, uh, I, I just, uh, it's funny, history of political science. History is, is so undertaught and anemic in, in the teaching of it. When I think of my college, college advanced, you know, American diplomatic history and American history courses uh, or the history of Europe, modern Europe, so empty, so much more has been discovered since then, so much more nuance, you know, and all this talk of this, uh, um, uh, what, what the 1619 Project and, and uh, you know, uh, the, the teaching racial history. How many people knew until recently, even if they knew that the White House was built by slaves and the Capitol was built by slaves? And, and the entire European economy depended on slavery, too, because they needed cotton. And cotton was the machine that the human beings were the machine that produced cotton. It's so complex, never been taught, and they don't want anyone to hear anything they don't like. And it's become so politicized. Well, it is politicized because uh, they, they, they suddenly become, you can't say that about America. How about people uh, beating on cops on January 6th? I, I'm not even sure most of the police unions have, have, have condemned it. It's okay with the, to break the rules when you believe. Uh, democracy is just a piece of paper. If you don't agree that uh, candidate A won and candidate B lost, we're lost, you know? And there's putts, uh, Trump, who was, you know, uh, who has a golf course about two miles from my house here in Briarcliff. Hey, let's not get started on him. Go go show business again, or dentistry, or the Boston Red Sox, whatever. You, you're a Bostonian. I love Boston. I used to love uh, Jacob Worth, that restaurant. You remember yeah. Jacob Worth? You know, with guy with sawdust in the floor and bratwurst? And lockovers? And what? Uh, a restaurant called Lockovers. Yeah, I don't know that one. Uh, that was supposedly legal seafood, legal seafood, and the place we used to go down to have a big uh, 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 prime rib, the famous one you sit at a, a, a long table. Uh, Are you sure you lived in Boston? I did, but it's been 20, uh, 25 years. Oh my God. I'm old. <laughs> well, <laughs> You look great, by the way, and you definitely have your marbles. You're doing well. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned smoking. I got to credit Bob Fosse for saving my life on that one. Uh, my wife and I went to see all that jazz. I came well, I, out, had yeah. a cigarette, and she said, do you have to do that? 
And I said, never again. Wow. So you didn't stop in 1960 when the, uh, that's when my father threw his away when the, when the report came out. Uh, by the way, my, my important manager for the first 24 years of my career, Jack Rollins, Charlie Joffe, they managed Woody Allen and Dick Cavett and uh, their names are on all the Woody Allen films. And he was a wonderful man. He lived to be a hundred. And um, he, he, um, he smoked uh, eight cigars a day in this closed space. Everyone that worked in that office died prematurely. He lived to be a hundred. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, uh, Bob Fosse, and the reason I brought him up, see, I've, I've forgotten the middle of why I brought it up, but I, I remembered now, which is pretty good. Uh, Bob Fosse and uh, and pa Patty Chayefsky were friends of Jack's, and he had a beautiful duplex office right down the street from Carnegie Hall on 57th Street. And they'd come there a few times a week, chat with Jack, and then they took their constitutional, which for them was uh, 8th Avenue, down past Carnegie Hall to 5th Avenue, cross the street, come up the south, the north side of 57th Street. Both chugging one cigarette, cigarette after another. Patty was an alumnus of my high school, David Clinton, who was a famous school for old boys and wonderful, one wonderful man. I, I didn't really know uh, Fossey, but uh, they were both had early uh, deaths because of all the smoking. I know, like a, like a firecracker that fizzles. What are you going to do? You can't yeah. change it. What projects are you working on now? Uh, reading books on my iPad, which I thought I'd never do. I belong to something called BookBub, and they keep on hocking me every day or bargains. I'm a bargain hunter, so I pay no more than 99 cents, one ninety nine or two ninety nine. Complete works of Winston Churchill. Uh, I told you I'm reading this book by Martin Gilbert now, World War One. I. I just finished one about how entirely about how they got into World War One. Uh, reading, I, I'm having an awful lot of trouble sitting down and writing. I have lots of notes and lots of little false starts. Um, um, but. Um, Really, I, I'm, I have a couple of shows in June, one at the Suffolk Theater and one at Monmouth College in New Jersey, where I have an honorary degree. I have three honorary degrees. So if uh, one, one is a doctor of humane letters, so if a humane letter is sick, I can cure it. I have no idea. <laughs> I got it from my, my uh, old school who... Uh, were enemies of mine for a while because I publicly <clears throat> wrote a routine which I did on uh, Saturday Night Live and elsewhere about the anti-Semitism at this school. Uh, there were six fraternities. It was the only social life. There was no alcohol within 13 miles of the place. It was a Seventh-day Baptist village. Um, where the uh, Sabbath was on Saturday, but they didn't believe in alcohol. And we were college students with an 18 year old you could drink. So uh, the only place you could drink was the fraternity house, the only place you could have parties. And four of them were white Christian only. And the administration tolerated this for years. 
And I went up to one of my choice and they couldn't take 54 boys in, only allowed 25. So my first year I was a social outcast. I never forgave them. And they petitioned me, the president of the school and this and that. I did accept the, the, um, the honorary degree because of my wonderful drama uh, department who was so proud because I was starring on Broadway then and they're playing our song. I was nominated for a Tony. I rented a plane and flew my wife and I up there. Uh, it was beautiful. I did it only for them. And since then, I mean, there it's nothing like that. In fact, the, the fraternities behaved so badly that for the last 15 years, they're forbidden. Two students died within a 20-year period from drunken hazing. Um, and um, one from Monmouth and one from... Uh, Columbia College, Chicago, which is a wonderful school, purely show business school. Every aspect of theater and movies, lighting, costumes, acting, wonderful institution. And I did that in honor of my director in Second City, Sheldon Patinkin, who was a cousin of Mandy Patinkin. And, uh, you know, I, what did I tell the students? Try your best, be optimistic, because I started from nothing. I had no connections, nothing. And you need some good fortune, too. This has been great, Robert. I'll, t I'll tell you. I didn't let you get a word in edgewise. That's perfectly all right. Now I'm going to get a couple of words in. Now behind me is a <laughs> section. <of> I thought. <laughs> it, it's just a detail from a Manet painting that they blew up for a poster for an exhibition in Paris. And it was when I lived on Fifth Avenue, that was the designer chose that, you know. And I do think it's beautiful and uh, it uh, put me into hock. I, I lived the high life, I did. Behind me, I can never get this figured out. Behind me is a picture of Anchor Watt that I took. Of who? Anchor Watt in Cambodia. Great He's, trip. Oh, oh, oh. Your temples. Place? It's a place? It's one of the Cambodian ancient temples. Oh. Yeah, you did a lot of traveling. I, I no Thank eyes. God. Yeah, we did. I have no, I have no eyes to, uh, I have, uh, I mean, I've been in enough hotels. <laughs> I haven't purchased a bar of soap in over 35 years. That's how many hotels I've been to. When you're a dentist, you're in one room. When you're a dentist, you're a dentist all the way from the first cigarette to the better today. By the way, it reminds me, Dr. Pallavi, my, my first dentist in the Bronx, he was two blocks away on Hull Avenue, and he was a vet. It was a picture of him from World War II. He used to smoke a Marlboro while he was working on me. And instead of an ashtray, have it hanging off his table there, the, the, what do you call that, the tray, yeah, bracket table. The bracket table. And his tobacco-stained big fingers in my mouth. How do you like that? And he died of a heart attack in his 40s. You know, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I was brought up, I was born in 42, so I don't really remember the war, but everything after it. I, I met so many Holocaust survivors working as a busboy and a lifeguard in the mountains and just in life, you know. And, and um, I wish I would have asked more of those people that were in the war. Most of them really didn't talk about it. My father was too old for the war. He was an air raid warden. And um, 
just because it, it, it's still uh, the, the the destruction is so appalling, but the 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 magnificence of the organization of how even though there was carping and and criticism got together and and the only things that came out of it that are worthwhile really worthwhile like jet travel and radar in medical usage all kinds of wonderful things come out of war but if ever a war was necessary sadly that was the war world war ii yeah i i was a little older than you and my dad uh was an air raid warden as well but i remember uh bringing scrap metal and old Crisco used up Crisco to the, to the uh, collection centers. Yeah. And uh, how people cooperated and, and, you know, uh, how after the war 46, 47, we all got vaccinated for smallpox vaccine. Then we got polio, polio we got vaccinated and no one, gee, and uh, no one, Thought of it as my body, my even though four trillion people have been vaccinated. No, it's your responsibility because you breathe. You can't smoke in a restaurant because the smoke goes. So why should you be unvaccinated? You know, that's it. There's a big discussion in New York about Kyrie Irving, the basketball player, who also said the earth is flat. And they're making it into a cause celeb and blaming the mayor. The mayor's mandate or the legal thing was that if you have a business in New York of a certain size, everyone has to be vaccinated. So we're going to make an exception for him. It is true unvaccinated players are coming in. There's a certain absurdity to that, but I don't know, man. I don't uh, know. America used to, it's, it's like, uh, I'm very, very worried for the democracy. I hate to tell you, it makes me feel a little bit relieved to be old, although I have a son and his wife and, you know, but uh, this, uh, this is a little scary what's happening. Uh, Tucker Carlson defending Putin and, and, and the president of the United States, Trump defending this, this scum, this former spy, you know, whatever. I, hey, look, uh, it's, I, I worry about it for my grandchildren. Yeah. Um, I don't have any grandchildren yet. I know they want them, but we'll see. They, they have a dog. It's an intermediate thing. But I'm afraid if they have a child, they'll get so used to the dog, they'll put down for the child a bowl of meat and a bowl of water. This could happen. Well, the other thing is my dog right now is five years old. It's a miniature poodle. They live to be 15 or 18. I've got him trained to take me to the vet when my time comes. <laughs> I know, it's a race. What do you call that, a uh, uh, benefit something thing? Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't do a complete mouth on me if I were a dentist, you know, even if I needed it. <laughs> There's always uh, Goober, Gerber strain pairs, you know. That. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what they give you in those things they advertise on television. In one hour, they implant every tooth. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. it, and in the, the day, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they grow hair. Listen, it's a pleasure. <laughs> It's right. a pleasure. Listen, now, say that. I want to see this recording. Now I want my few words. When you start a podcast at age 85, you ask friends, medical colleagues, who admittedly think you're crazy to be on. And then you search the internet for 
real celebrity, not expecting to hear from anyone. Most of the time, people don't even bother to answer and say no. And then you have the rare, distinct honor of getting a reply from Robert Klein, who actually says, call me. Robert, this has been an honor, a privilege. Thank you for being on specifically for seniors. Thank you for being so gracious with the technical problems we had. Larry, can we do this in cash instead of the truth? I got a buck in my pocket. Get it for the money, okay? (laughs) I'll send the dollar. All right. Please consider this an open invitation to come back anytime you feel like talking. It's been fun. It's been great. Thank Thank you. Good luck. Take care. Bye-bye. If you found this podcast interesting, fun, or helpful, we'd appreciate it if you tell your friends and family and click on the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Larry Barsh, and you've been listening to Specifically for Seniors.